You're listening to How to Succeed in Evil, Crazy Psycho Murder Tree. Chapter 11, The Trial. The morning before the trial began, Talmadge was certain he was going to lose. Who was he to take on the entire district attorney's office? One man. Not even a whole man. A tiny little man taking his first criminal case to trial. He wasn't smart enough. He hadn't gotten enough sleep. He got out of his bed and got down on his knees. The nuns in Sister Mary Helena's orphanage had taught him to pray, but since he had left the orphanage, he hadn't returned to church. Any public gathering was just another opportunity for the world to ridicule him. But he had prayed almost every night before he crawled into bed. Sometimes his prayers were wholesome for strength or intelligence to be able to get through law school, but other times they weren't. Sometimes he prayed that God might unmake his mistake and that he might wake the next morning to find himself a normal-sized man, or that he might find love or even lust. He was too timid to engage the services of what he delicately thought of as professional ladies. Other times his prayers were prayers of hatred, sharpened for vengeance. He prayed that those who mocked him might be hurt in some way, endure setbacks, failure, to know what it was to be him and to be forced to suffer at his altitude. But in all those years Talmadge had prayed, he had never known a single one of his prayers to be answered. So this morning... He closed his bloodshot eyes and directed his prayers downward. He offered the devil a deal. Make me the greatest defense attorney the world has ever known, he asked. Take the fear from my heart and place it into the men and women who stand against me. In spite of himself, he broke into a sweat as he asked these things. He opened his eyes and looked around him frantically, as if he expected the devil himself to be there. But there was... Nothing. Just like all the other times he had prayed, nothing happened. Then Talmadge got angry, hot on the inside. He pounded his bed with small fists. Not even the devil wanted anything to do with him. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, he whispered through clenched teeth as tears ran down his face. Then the storm passed. He wiped his cheek with the back of his hand and sniffed. Then he looked up to the heavens and then down to hell and said, Fine, I'll do it myself. He went into the bathroom, hopped up on the box in front of the sink and looked at himself in the mirror. He said, You're going to get on top and you're going to stay on top. You're going to look down on all these people. Starting today, things are going to be different. Then he straightened his tie and said, Top them. That's what you do. That's who you are. From here on in. The courthouse was a total zoo. There were news crews, bereaved families of college students, even a band of protesters dressed as lumberjacks. Talmadge scurried in through a side entrance, now ironically grateful he was not a famous attorney. Although, given the high profile around this trial, that was all about to change. He felt the nervousness inside him change to excitement and back again. It was like a slot machine reel going round and round and round and round. Bar, bar, lemon, bar, lemon. The lever had been pulled, and there was not much he could do about it now. After he cleared security, he checked his watch. 
8.20. The sheriff's deputies would be transporting their prisoner, his client, wrapped in a tarp and lashed in the back of a flatbed truck. Talmadge had argued through the hearings that the deprivation of sunlight for his client was exactly like withholding food from a normal prisoner. No one had seemed to care. But as Talmadge had watched the bogus wither and shrink from his confinement in the boiler room, he had come to believe the point more and more. Yes, the bogus talked a good game, but now he looked more like raw timber than a living tree. Talmadge hadn't exactly taken a shine to the bogus, but he had grown used to its bluster and eccentric diction. He had tried to break the ice with the creature by bringing him a few books so that the old professor might have something to read during his confinement. But the angry tree had gone on for an hour about how the books were corpses, how each little page contained the soul of a once-proud tree, how libraries were part of the shameful genocide that Meatkind continued to perpetrate on his brothers throughout the forests of the world. When Talmadge could take it no longer, he burst out, "'Your kind!' Your kind? Really, if there were more pain-in-the-ass talking stumps around the world, we should definitely call them as witnesses. You know any? In the silence that followed his outburst, Talmadge had been terrified, but after an appropriately suspenseful pause, the bogus creaked, I know no other. I am the last of my kind. Oh, come on, you're the first of your kind. One and the same. Yeah. Yeah, an endangered species. At 8.30, Talmadge was shown to the defense team room. A sheriff's deputy, this one thin and nervous-looking, said he would send up the others as soon as they arrived. Topper didn't have the heart to tell him that it was going to be just him and his case of evidence. 8.35 a.m. By now they would be wheeling the truck into the parking garage beneath the building and craning the prisoner into the service elevator. As part of the preliminary agreement, a hallway had been widened and several doors removed to allow the bogus's transport into the courtroom. In the end, while nobody had cared about photosynthesis, the right to face your accuser turned out to be something that the court held especially sacred. Topper didn't care how he won the case at this point. He just wanted to beat Scarpelli. He wanted to be the man so hard that they would never forget his name. Outside the defense room, he heard a commotion in the hallway. He stuck his head out, and at the bend in the corridor, he saw the sheriff wrestling with his client, draped in a gray canvas tarp. "'It's not going to make the turn,' one of them said. "'We need an axe.' "'Oh, shit.' Topper ran down the hallway, yelling, "'You're not axing my client!' The sheriff, not a deputy, the full sheriff, turned and asked the group, "'Who's this little guy?' "'Little guy? Oh, fuck them.' Talmadge climbed up on the tree, brandishing a piece of paper, and the words just popped out as if it had been his name for years. Topper Hagelblatt, attorney for the defense, and this is a court order that instructs you to make, and I quote, whatever modifications necessary to the building to allow the safe entry and egress of Mr. Bogus, defendant, etc., etc. Egress? Not some kind of bird? Exit. It means exit, Officer Krupke, as in, when I have vindicated my client in a court of law, he will egress this building and go free. You understand? Confused, the sheriff muttered, My name's not Krupke. It is today. Now go fetch a sledgehammer, Krupke. We're doing court, and this corner's gotta go. Krupke looked to his deputy sergeant, who was reading the court order. The sergeant shrugged and said, He's right. You good under there? Topper asked his client. Weakly, 
the bogus answered, The vital sap runs slow, yet still it cries out for vengeance. Topper patted the tarp and said, Hang on, old stump, we'll get you unwrapped soon. And so Topper Hagelblatt entered the courtroom, riding on his client, being pushed by a phalanx of sheriffs. The spectators gasped, and the courtroom artist scribbled so furiously that she shattered her charcoal. The look on Scarpelli's face oscillated between rage and disgust. Topper's only disappointment was that the jury wasn't there to see any of it. But he would win them over soon enough. Topper. Maybe it was just a stupid nickname, but even saying it in his head made him feel that he had become someone else. Not someone who knew the law, but someone with confidence. Someone who relished the fight because he would win. How he knew this, what evidence he could produce in the real world, he did not know or ask. It was just a feeling. And right now, Topper, whoever that was or might turn out to be, felt like he could take on the world and win. The sheriff unwrapped the canvas and the bogus managed to creak upright. The courtroom had 30-foot ceilings, and even though he had been long folded in the boiler room, with much creaking and cracking, the bogus was able to straighten out his trunk to its full remaining height of 13 feet 7 inches. The people in the balcony recoiled in fear. Topper patted the trunk and whispered to the bark, Remember what we talked about. Just stay quiet, stay calm. Topper's got this. The bogus creaked and said, There are windows but no sun. There was indirect light, the kind that ferns and undergrowth might have thrived upon, but nothing like the pure blast of sunlight needed to sustain a mighty tree. Topper noticed that the top of the courtroom was a rotunda of sorts ringed by high windows. The early morning sun did not penetrate directly. Perhaps the angle was too low, or one of the brutalist skyscrapers that had grown up around the fine old courthouse blocked out the light. I thought there would be sunlight, the bogus said in a voice that was like the wind whispering through trees. The jury shuffled in. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Topper thought with relish. Then he patted his client's barky side again and said, Easy, big fella. We'll have you out of here in no time. All rise, intoned the bailiff. Everyone stood as the judge entered. For Topper, this meant jumping off his seat and standing on the floor. In the process, he lost so much height that he was obscured behind the table. When the judge entered, he asked, Where's the counsel for the defense? Is he late? Scarpelli snickered. Topper ignored it and stepped out from behind the table. Oh, said the judge with a disappointed look on his face. Then he dropped the gavel and said, Court's in session. The word leapt from Topper's throat as if someone else was doing the talking. Objection! Confusion. Then anger flashed across the judge's face. Then he mastered his emotions and asked with an eerie calm, Did you really mean to object to the opening of the session, or did you get carried away? Topper looked over at Scarpelli's gloating face. That tall son of a bitch thought he was going to get everything he wanted out of this day, out of this trial, out of his whole fucking life. That good-looking bastard was even going to get a pony for Christmas unless somebody stopped it. These bastards, these normal height bastards. They didn't even play by their own rules. They thought the law was somehow there to be convenient for them, to make it easier for them to trample on the little guys and the freaks, when really, the law was there to protect the little guy. You're on him. 
The Americans with Disabilities Act expressly provides, and I quote, that no physical hindrance or lack of ability should reflect adversely on any person due to illness, disease, deformity, or birth defect. You're on thin ice, counselor, began the judge. Your Honor, said Topper, using a tone of contrition like armies use camouflage to disguise artillery emplacements. The very structure of this courtroom is prejudicial to my case and person, in violation of federal law, and this structural heightism will certainly be cited in the press as one of the contributing factors in this miscarriage of justice that's about to take place here. What on earth are you talking about? Objection, cried the D.A., Overruled, Topper and the judge both yelled at the district attorney simultaneously. I'm sorry, Your Honor, that's clearly your prerogative, said Topper. Never mind, growled the judge. Make your argument. Your Honor, if I sit in this chair behind this table, and Topper sat nearly disappearing behind the table, I look like some kid playing dress-up at his father's law firm. I have a responsibility to my client, and however ridiculous he may be, to provide the best defense possible under the law. And if I don't assert myself, if I cannot be seen or taken seriously, then I should be recused. Topper looked over at the DA and smiled, sticking the knife in. As I am sure the prosecution will agree. This is highly unusual, said the judge. Sadly, Your Honor, it's not at all unusual for me. Such... Is my life. The judge sighed as if this was all tiresome. What accommodation would you like this court to make? Topper looked to the jury and he could see that their sympathy was not with the judge. Scarpelli blurted out, How about a booster seat, little fella? There was a gasp from the jury foreman, a well dressed older woman. Mission accomplished, thought Topper. I think a stool will be enough, Your Honor. Topper paused for effect. Or you can have this jackass's legs removed mid-thigh and we'll be even. Laughter swept through the courtroom even as the judge banged his gavel and Scarpelli shouted, Objection! This pejorative language is beneath the dignity of this courtroom in my office. I'm sorry, Your Honor. When you let that little fella comment slide, I thought insults were fair game, said Topper. The judge said, They most certainly are not. Or, if there's a height requirement to be rude, maybe you could post one of those amusement park signs. You must be this tall to abuse your opposing counsel. Enough, yelled the judge, pounding his gavel furiously. One more outburst like that and I will hold you in contempt. The judge took a breath. <clears throat> the judge took a breath and most of the redness drained out of his face. But your point is taken, counselor. You will keep it civil, gentlemen, or I will hold both of you in contempt. Bailiff, find the counsel for the defense a stool. The proceedings paused while the courthouse was scoured for an adjustable stool. Eventually, a green work stool was produced and set in front of the defense table. And the whole time, the sun climbed higher and higher in the sky. If you like How to Succeed in Evil, you should support it by becoming a paid subscriber at patrickemaclean.substack.com. And if you do, I mean, for the paltry sum of $5 a month, you get to binge the rest of this story right now. I mean, that's a good deal, right? You not only get to satisfy your need for instant gratification, but you get to do so in a way that lets you feel good about yourself while you're doing it. So if you want to wait a week to get the next episode, that's fine. It'll be here right on schedule. 
But is it the most evil thing in the world to suggest that in these trying times you deserve a little happiness? It's actually fairly evil. This is marketing, but you should still subscribe.